Good morning. Thank you, Randy. Um, Our passage today is in John 12. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Um, You're welcome to open your Bibles and follow along. They'll be on the screen as well. Or if you'd like the words just to kind of wash over you, that's fine as well. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why hasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. People say and do crazy things for love, don't they? And when we watch them do or say these crazy things for love, it almost is, it almost is just as common that we have an attitude or opinion about so said action or words that were spoken. I, I guess it's just par for the course. Maybe there's something that powerful about love or maybe there's just something so intrinsically designed within us that we respond Positively, negatively, when we see these gestures. And it doesn't have to be Valentine's Day, two starry-eyed lovers looking at each other and you just go, oh, Andrea, do you remember when we were like that? No, I mean, sometimes it can happen on game day when you look at a bunch of rather, the older you get, silly-looking people who are taking this game far too seriously. And I know I may have just spoken heresy in some of your books. No, these acts of uh, devotion, these acts of love, inspire a lot of us or bring critique, disdain. Um, There are a number of them that we actually see throughout the Bible, these acts of devotion or these acts of love, and, and we actually have for our text today John chapter 12, where Mary demonstrates her love for Jesus, and so we see what someone will do, the lengths to which someone will go to demonstrate publicly just how much they care, how much they love. But it's not the first time that this has happened, and I think one of the most important things that we can do is to try to trace throughout Scripture the different ways in which the same actions happen. So that you and I can actually see a theme develop. And we can actually see how people are very similar, even though the times have changed. And God remains constant in terms of how he responds to how people respond to him. And one of the most interesting ones is is this. When people go out of their way to demonstrate their love for him. And then people who are watching said person, demonstrate their love, begin to offer their own assessment, right? They're kind of 
reading Mary's Facebook post and deciding whether or not they want to give her a thumbs up or a thumbs down. One of my favorite stories, and so I want to begin, is actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to see a demonstration of, a, of an act of exuberance, an act of uh, an ability to, to, to control oneself. Might, someone might want to call it reckless. Appears to be a rather reckless precedent, David, that you are setting. King David is king of Israel. And we all know how kings should act. But this instance here, he's not acting like a king. He's not even dressed like one. What caused this? Well, as you know, David loved the Lord, wrote him a bunch of songs. And, and David loved the Lord so much that he wanted to have a place for God to dwell, and God said, no, not you. David was excited about the presence of God, so much so that when the Ark of the Covenant, which was such a central part of, of when they would worship God in a particular location, and it had been gone for a long time, as it began to return, David was so excited he couldn't control himself. And the text says that he danced mightily before the Lord. I will not try to demonstrate any kind of, I think it looked kind of like this. Truthfully, I have no idea what it looked like. That's really not the point. The point is, is that the way that he acted, however it was, was out of place. At least that's what some people thought. 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verses 14 and 15. This is David demonstrating love. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. Now, I don't know what you've done recently with your ephod. It's not, um, it's, the, it's the, the, the layer of clothing that's most close to the body. It's, it's not just underwear, it's more than that. But it definitely demonstrates, um, if you really are doing it right, you don't just wear that. Can't believe you're just wearing that. And that's just what he's wearing. And he doesn't have on his kingly attire. And he's in public. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn. <laughs> I've always thought about this verse. Have you ever met people that were like, well, you know what, we should get dressed up for church? because it is the presence of the Lord. I've always thought about 2 Samuel 6. I get what you're saying. I think it's good to dress appropriately. I think there's a way in which we can demonstrate like an appreciation and a love and a respect. I get it. It just also appears that that's not the only way to demonstrate. That's what I think. It seems to be what Samuel is describing as he's writing this account. David, playing the part of a fool? Somebody who just can't control themselves? I'm going to fast forward a bit. This could get really, really long. There's more examples in the Bible, but I want to get to the New Testament. Luke chapter 21. It's, it's a different kind of story because I wanted to point out that sometimes a, a crazy act of love can be like this. And then sometimes, because I, I didn't marry someone like this, I married someone like this. And their acts of love may not be exuberant and, and almost the, the, the power comes in the understate. The way they understate 
In Luke 21, they're gathering around the place where the offering, later on we'll collect an offering, and they're all standing around. The disciples and Jesus are standing around. I'm sure even others are standing around. The way that it even worked was that you would announce with trumpets your, your gifts. Some people actually believe that the announcing with trumpets was the sound that the coins would make as you would throw the, 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 the offerings into these receptacles, and it would just literally just kind of ring, and the disciples and Jesus are watching an act of love and an act of devotion, and here she comes, humbly dressed, because that's the way she dresses every day. Ding. Ding. That's it? Where's the fanfare in that? It seems like the disciples missed it. Jesus actually has to draw attention. Sometimes an act of love can be so bold and brash that everybody notices. Sometimes it can be so quiet that people overlook it. Except for one. So Jesus has to draw their attention. It's, it's like the disciples don't have the eyes to see. They don't have the ability to perceive what is really happening. This is pretty typical for the disciples. And let's be careful thinking that we would have got it. No, 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 no. They, they don't. I live in Stillwater. You don't name a building after someone who gives that much. Do you? It goes completely unknown. Except for one, Jesus draws attention. Hey, did you notice? And I can imagine the disciples, it's not really in the text, but I can imagine the disciples going, nope, totally missed it. Totally missed it. And Jesus, yeah, I didn't. I didn't miss it. In fact, Jesus actually points this out. I get it. Verses one and two of Luke 21, he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And then he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And what's his assessment? This woman, more than anyone else, really gave. Everyone else gave out of the overflow, but this woman, can, can you see her there? I can just imagine her calculating. How much do I have? What are my needs? Okay, I don't have a lot. I, I guarantee you, um, when they collected the offering that day and they were tallying it, they didn't go, oh, we had some big givers today. Or if they did, it wasn't her gift that made the difference. That's not why she gave. Can I just say, like, it's not why she gave. So when we give at the end of this service, it, it's not how much, sounding with trumpets. It's how much. It's how much. You know, it's always like a, an act of love. It's a, it's a sign of devotion. There's actually... My third story, there's actually two accounts of Jesus being anointed. You, you have this one, which is found in Matthew and Mark and John. 
And then Luke tells a story of another anointing. And it's, it's, it's really amazing how similar they are. There's enough differences that I don't know how anybody could say, ah, oh, it's the same story. It's just, no, it's not the same story. There are clearly two anointings. But in both cases, a woman sees something in Jesus, and I would argue something in herself that compels sacrifice, that compels humbling of oneself that compels love to do something Luke chapter 7 they're at the house of Simon who is a Pharisee not Simon Peter Simon who is a Pharisee and and it appears in terms of their custom that they would sometimes gather and it wasn't just exclusive friends that would eat but no a number of people could come and, and even people that weren't necessarily invited no 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 you can kind of hang around the edges Indeed, Jesus was accused of eating, associating, gathering with sinners and tax collectors, and that's not what you do. Because when you eat with someone, that's your way of giving public approval to the way that they live. And we know Jesus took some heat for this. And here's this woman at a Pharisee's house, out of place, completely out of place. And again, kind of like the woman at the temple, doesn't seem to care. She's not giving it for that. Something else is driving her. Something else is motivating her. Luke chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Here's how Luke describes the account. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. Doesn't that sound like what Ashley wrote this morning? A lot of similarities, but no, it's actually a very different account. But the both... Women seem to understand there is just something special about him. When I was a, when I was a professor, I had a student walk on, knock on my door one day, and Professor Johnson, can I talk to you for a moment? And I said, sure, come on in, Caleb. Caleb came in, um, and he had this little duffel bag with him, and he just uh, started talking about some Bible verse, and do you think this means this? And I remember just looking at him and going, no, that's not what that verse means at all. And he went, oh. Well, anyway, I'm here to do something different. So it was a kind of a little bit of one of those weird moments. But he then comes around to the side of my desk and he opens up this duffel bag and in it he has some water and a towel and he says, can I wash your feet? And I thought, sure. <laughs> it was one of those, I'm telling you, awkward moments. And he began to wash my, I've had people wash my feet. We even had a service here, a number of years ago, um, where the staff had their feet washed by a number of other people. I know what it feels like. But every time I read these accounts of Mary and this woman here, yeah, it doesn't even have a name. Hmm. Yeah, you probably don't want your name to be known when you're a sinner and you're from that town and everybody knows. Can you just leave my name out of it, Luke? And there she is. So I've had my feet washed, never with tears. Never with tears. 
And I've never had someone literally take their hair and clean my feet. And I know what you might think, well, those were Jesus' feet. When Jesus was walking on this earth, they were dirty feet. Jesus draws attention to this, that when she has done this, his feet had not been properly cleaned. This woman doesn't care. She is willing to do a tremendous act. She's not gonna write a song about how that she would swim the, the deepest ocean and climb the highest mountain. Words that I've heard a lot of people say that they don't really mean. No, this woman doesn't really have a speech. She just wants to demonstrate to Jesus. Yeah, but there's a lot of people that can see you. It doesn't matter. I want to show to Jesus how much I love and care for him. Yeah, but that's expensive. That's the point. But it's embarrassing. Also the point. There's nothing I wouldn't give. There's no depths that I wouldn't go to to demonstrate privately or publicly just how much I love him. And Mary. John chapter 12. We see a very similar story. John's the one that kind of draws special attention to the who in it. And probably because John's the only one that tells the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 and his sisters, Mary and Martha. The town, Bethany. And so our text begins in John chapter 12, verse one. Six days before the Passover. We'll talk about that in a moment. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, chapter 11. The one Jesus had raised from the dead, chapter 11. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha was serving them. Martha does that, right? Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure, expensive nard, anointed his feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So similar to the other account. And yet there are a lot of, a lot of differences. The, the, the time is different. This isn't earlier on in Jesus' ministry. No, this is six days before the Passover and not just any Passover, the final Passover. Those who know the story here, six days before the Passover, the final week of Jesus' life before he is about to die, Jesus' body is anointed. By this woman... And this is what's interesting. So often when we think about what we're going to do, how we're going to demonstrate, how we're going to give, we believe that what we should do is to calculate, to think about this, to, uh, to make the appropriate decision so that we can be responsible. Kind of like David. Well, I'm going to be in public today. What should I wear? Honey, get my linen ephod out. I'm ready to go. No, you forgot your kingly attire, sir. No, so often we, we become so, we like to use the word like responsible or intentional. I'm not against those words. But then there's these stories in the Bible that seem to bring into question 
many of the gestures that are both done and not done because people uh, have either had second thoughts, decided not to. If it's true that people do crazy things for love, this is something that I've really learned. People have opinions about people who do crazy things for love, don't they? We have opinions about that. And, and many times it can be absolutely inspiring, but then I know other people that go, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have put up with that. I, I'll tell you, what I, you know what I would have done? You know how I would have gave? No, tell me, and, and they're ready to tell you. I, I was watching what you said or what you did, and I just want you to know, here's my thoughts about what you should have said and what you should have done. I don't know if it's worse now. It seems to be, though, doesn't it? It seems to be that everyone has an opinion about what everyone else does or thinks or how they act. You like my ring? Oh, that's it? I thought he loved you. Did you just say that out loud? You like my ring? Wow, I can't believe you spent that much on a ring. Did you just say that out loud? No, I'm keeping these thoughts in my head. Whether we say them or don't say them, can't stop thinking them. People have opinions about people who do crazy things for love. Back to 2 Samuel chapter six. After David is done making a fool out of himself, one person we know of was willing to call him on it. It's Saul's daughter, but it's also David's wife, Michael. And I don't know the relationship well enough. Maybe you do, I don't. But the statement that she makes really kind of has been so cemented in history that it definitely gives a, a rather critical picture of her. Because she looked at how David danced and how David was dressed, and, and she said this. When David returned home, or here's how it's recorded. When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter, Michael, didn't even refer to him as David's wife, but Saul's daughter, Michael, came out to meet him. And by the way, this is one of those moments where my wife is right. Tone matters. Tone really does matter. I think it probably sounded something like this. How the king of Israel honored himself today, dripping with sarcasm. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls, of his subjects, like a vulgar person would expose himself. To which David is going to respond, and even the relationship gets really complicated after this. I'd do it again. I'd, I'd humiliate myself even more. Um, me reading between the lines, you don't get it. I did that for God. It wasn't for you. People have opinions about people who do crazy things for love. I, I don't really have a verse I can use from Luke 21. I think maybe the disciples' silence about that whole thing is somewhat telling that Jesus has to draw attention that her gesture was just so subtle that they missed it. Maybe, maybe that is indicting in itself. They don't even know 
They have no ability to discern. And, and, and hear me, I think Jesus wants them to be able to discern. Jesus wants them to be able to be aware of what they're not seeing that people are doing. I, I doubt if he did it all the time, but I, I really do. Go back and read the Gospels. There are many times Jesus would say to the disciples, you're not paying attention. You're not, you're not looking. You're not, you're not seeing things the way that you need to see them. Because that's what's happened in Luke chapter seven. It's not the disciples, but I'm, they're there. But this is Simon the Pharisee, who after this woman does this act, I like how Luke describes this in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him, it's almost like he doesn't want to say his name in this particular instance to about this woman who is also unnamed. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so our opinions about other people's gestures doesn't even have to be posted so everybody can see it. It doesn't have to be said so that everybody can hear it. One of the parts that I love about this text is that God knows what we think at all times. Here's what Simon said to himself. If this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. He, he wouldn't put up with this. He wouldn't do this. He wouldn't allow this. He would, he would act differently, like what she is doing and who she is. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And Jesus, without him ever saying a word, interjects truth. And, and can I say Jesus interjects truth here because he loves Simon too. I believe he loves this woman who is demonstrating a love for him. But Jesus cares for Simon. I can't let, seems like Jesus is saying, those thoughts to just remain in your mind. Those poisonous thoughts those misguided, ungrateful, overly critical thoughts, I can't let this go. And he tells one of my favorite stories. Essentially saying to Simon, what you don't get, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people in this room that don't get it too, is that this woman is acting this way because she has been forgiven much. And people who've been forgiven much love much. And they don't calculate things. Maybe that's why David is dancing so hard. Maybe that's why the woman is giving so much. Because they just are absolutely overwhelmed by how much God has given to them. And so their gesture, their, their acts of humiliation just seem so small in comparison to the degree to which God would go to humiliate would God ever humiliate himself to demonstrate love? You don't get it, Simon. You don't understand love. You don't understand forgiveness. Maybe in part, it's, it's, I think it might be the posture. Whenever you stand like that, I just don't think you understand love. Whenever you stand like this, it's just hard to really get love. Or maybe just kind of quietly. 
None of those gestures of love. John chapter 12. Now, it's interesting here. So you can read Mark's account, Matthew's account, or John's account. And not only do you have like special attention in John's account given to Mary and to Martha and to Lazarus, but you have special attention given to Judas. Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He, that's Judas, didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it for what was put in it. And there's Judas. Now, I just think you have to at some point, right? And we're, we're going through the Gospel of John, so I think it's good that we focus on John. We had John read today, not Matthew's account or Mark's account, but there's no way to deal with this story without also kind of listening in through what Matthew heard and what Mark recorded. And Matthew and Mark don't point the finger just at Judas. They actually say the disciples, which means this. That Judas may have been, if we try to look at all three accounts together, Judas may have been the one that was actually saying it, but there were a bunch of other people that were thinking it. All the disciples, or at least most of the disciples, somehow were lining up with Judas. You can't do this. Please don't do this. Oh, well, sure, that's Saul's daughter. Obviously, she's not going to get it. Oh, yeah, Judas, of all the disciples, yeah, no doubt Judas doesn't get it. He's a thief. Nope. All the disciples are sitting there. Don't tell me, well, Simon's a Pharisee. That's why he looks so critically at people. Those Pharisees, they always look so critically at people. Have you ever noticed that when people complain about Pharisees, they sound a lot like a Pharisee? Have you noticed this? I've never seen like some of the most critically minded people of Pharisees sound just like Pharisees. That's the lure of this, this dangerous way of looking at other people's love and devotion to God. It somehow puts you in the driver's seat. It puts you on the throne. You're the one who understands. You're the one who gets it. You're the one that sees further, cares deeper. You see how dangerous that is? That is so dangerous, it could keep you from missing him. Why wasn't this? Why, why didn't they? I don't remember what year I was in. Um, and I, I, remember, I don't remember a lot of sermons when I was in college, but I remember this one. He was a college pastor from a university, and he was well-known. He was well-known for really, really, really bold statements. He was well-known for kind of training up and making like radical disciples for Jesus. And so I was excited to hear him preach. As he was preaching in our chapel that day, he was telling the story about a, a, a couple that had graduated years, years earlier from his ministry, both from the university, and they were both engineers. <laughs> they did really, really well in life. And every, I don't remember the number of years, but in every so often years, they would literally look at everything that they had and they would reset themselves financially in order to do something for the kingdom. Now he would say, listen, don't think, don't go overboard and think, wow, that's crazy and that's amazing because they, they didn't sell their house every time or they didn't sell all their cars, but they literally looked at a big chunk of what they were making and they just said, 
we still have good jobs and we still have a place to live. Let's, let's just reset. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this. I don't know what you're thinking right now, but I still remember the preacher saying, what? Did I just hear somebody say or think, well, that's foolish. And I'm thinking, how'd you get in my head? Did I hear somebody say, or at least think in their head, well, you're not asking me to do that, are you? I'm not supposed to do that, am I? And then he said, (laughs) or was that the devil speaking? I'll never forget that moment. And, and, And really, the most indicting was not whether or not, I've never done that. I've never done what those people did. I have thought many, many, many times, why did I so want to position myself the way I did? Why did I get so defensive? Why couldn't I sit back? I hope you know that I didn't tell you these stories this morning and go, well, I hope you're gonna worship like that. If not, you're a terrible worshiper. Well, I hope you're gonna give that way sacrificially to God. If not, you're a terrible giver. You're a terrible Christian. I'm not asking you to feel bad. I'm asking you to watch, to observe. People worship the Lord. People give to the Lord. People sacrifice to the Lord. And to not bow up, to not want to fight, to not want to always defend yourself, I really think that's what these people are doing here. I think they're trying to defend their own actions. That's what we love to do. Today we're gonna be hearing the story of the rich young ruler, but good news, Jesus asked this one guy to do it, nobody ever since. Okay, good. Proceed, preacher boy. Right? You feel it, don't you? Don't you feel the weight of it? And we become so defensive. We become so offensive. We become so offended by other people's gestures, by other people's gifts, that we are just compelled to offer our, it's probably less than two cents. We treat it like it's a million dollars. People do crazy things for love. People have opinions about people who do crazy things for love. Are you ready? Jesus has opinions about those who have opinions about those who do crazy things for love. I mean, let that sit for a second. As Judas is going, I can't believe it. Jesus is going, yeah, me neither. (laughs) And not her, but you. It's like my dad said. Son, you know when you're making comments about things, you're describing what's going on inside your own heart and mind. You're not really offering much of a critique of that other thing. Context, I was explaining how Van Halen would have longer staying power than Mozart. Mozart. He's no Eddie Van Halen. Correct. Born on the same day, by the way, but that's another sermon. So is Wayne Gretzky and my sister. Four people I love. Anyway, I think it's important that we see 
that there is something important and critical in watching and observing without becoming critical. So what's the point if Jesus has opinions about those who have opinions about those who do crazy things for love? Can I tell you what it's not? This text is not, don't judge them. That's like the most popular thing to say today. Don't judge them. You shouldn't judge them. And I always like to remind people, I feel like you're judging me when you're telling me not to judge. Uh, Truly, I don't think you can get out of it. To not judge is to not think. I know that we use it in a critical way, and we probably shouldn't, and by critical I mean like in a negative way. I don't think we should judge like that, but how do I not have a thought? How do I not have an assessment about what is happening? Jesus doesn't go, I can't believe you're judging her. You really shouldn't judge her, you know. It's not what he says at all. He even seems to actually draw attention to this. If anything, he's saying, you need to judge her. And in your assessment, be grateful for what she has done. And be inspired by what she has done. Can I tell you, I have seen so many of you love so well. that I've judged you. And you've inspired me. You've taught me how to love. You've taught me how to care. I have. I, I, t- I totally was judging you the entire time, and it was so inspiring. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. So it's not don't judge them. What Jesus is saying is be like them. Jesus draws attention that this woman is doing this because he is about to die six days before the Passover. And she's anointing my body. Like, none of you have any idea what's about to happen to me. None of you have any idea what's about to happen. She doesn't even know. And she is doing this, and you're sitting there. All of you are sitting there critiquing what she's doing. One side thought. I did think a lot this week how amazing it is that we so know what everybody else is doing and why everybody else did it, that we're willing to comment on everything else and what they should have done. And majority of the times that we see these people in the Bible, David doesn't know exactly what he's doing. This woman doesn't know exactly what she's giving. Mary doesn't know exactly what she's doing. The unnamed woman doesn't fully understand what is happening. How can you know so perfectly what other people are doing and how they're loving and why they're giving? Again, I'm not warning you to not judge them. I'm actually saying, no, you need to judge them. Assess them as beautiful. God-inspired givers. God-inspired lovers. I just want to be like Mary. I just want to be like her. Jesus answers in the text. And I don't know how he said it. Again, tone matters. And people always want to read into it. So I'm going to do that. I think Jesus said it like this. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Probably, I don't know if he's mad. I think he's just, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. You're always going to have the poor with you. You're not always going to have me. I know so many Christians that are far more interested in causes than Jesus. And Jesus points out very, very clearly that you can love a lot of things and if you don't love me, it doesn't matter. 
red, blue, left, right, noble. We can act a lot like Judas. I'm glad he's named. We can act a lot like Judas when we love to sit in judgment of other people who just don't get it. So here's how he ends it. Not John, Matthew. Matthew and Mark have this. John excludes it, which I find fascinating, but Matthew draws special attention to this. He says about this act that Mary does, he says this, truly I will tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wherever the gospel is preached, you'll hear stories about Jesus dying on a cross and Jesus being resurrected and Jesus descending into heaven. And oh yeah, by the way, six days before the Passover, there was this woman and she came and she anointed Jesus. Really? Yeah. Jesus says, what she's done is just so amazing. It's such an important precedent. It's such a reckless precedent. It, it just, it's so overwhelming. Everybody needs to hear this. And by the way, not so that we'll feel bad because I don't know if we would have done it. I think it was done to hopefully put a smile on our face and to put some imagination into our minds and hearts that we would say, wonder what I would give to Jesus. Not to impress anybody. Just because I love him. We will always have worthy causes to pursue. But Jesus is more worthy and greater than that cause. So one thing that we will reflect on as we gather around the table, and that's this. One thing. What kind of precedent are you setting by the way that you love God? People are watching, your children are watching, your friends are watching. Again, I'm not trying to heap any kind, I'm just stating a reality and an opportunity. What kind of precedent are we setting? And how can we look at these examples and be moved by the Spirit of God to demonstrate for his glory, others' benefit and our joy, how much we love him.